0: and with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. Midway USA brand product designers have one straightforward goal develop high quality, technically sound products and deliver them to customers at reasonable prices. If you are immersed in the shooting sports industry and pay close attention to every single detail, you know our products are built right and stand up to everyday use. Who has shooting mats and range bag systems to hunting clothing and just about everything for the outdoors? Log on and shop 24 7 with super fast shipping midwayusa.com.
1: Welcome grinders to another insights edition of blue collar elk hunting where I have the opportunity to interview people from all walks of life to talk about all things elk. But for today's show, the tables get turned, and what you 're about to hear is a collaboration podcast recorded by Jim Huntsman of the Western Huntsman Podcast. Jim did a school of September series of shows that included some of the top names in the elk hunting industry paul madell, Corey Jacobson. Dirk Durham, Michael Batiste, Jason Phelps, and Chris Rowe himself. So y'all, let me tell you what, I was incredibly honored when Jim asked me to be a part of the School of September and truly enjoyed talking about elk hunting from the elk bros perspective. We talk about finding elk, our calling philosophy, and strategies that we feel make us successful here in the public lands of New Mexico. I also get an opportunity to share aspects of our Blue Collar Elk Academy, which is something we're very proud of here at Elk Bros. So if you haven't listened to Jim's show, let me tell you, you are truly missing out. This guy is a dynamic host and has incredible content. So if you like what you hear, go hit up his show. You'll be glad you did. Also, at this very moment that you're listening to this, Me and the crew are in Elk Camp, so the next podcast may or may not come out on a regular schedule due to September issues, but I can tell you the next shows you'll hear will be recorded live at Elk Camp as me and the boys share all of the ups, downs, and everything in between. Shoot, be ready, because you never know what you might be hearing, but you will definitely be right there with us right there in elk camp. So, my friends, pull up a chair, turn your volume up just right, and welcome to Blue Collar Elk Hunting's Insights Edition.
0: Welcome to Blue Collar Elk Hunting, brought to you by elkgrows.com, with your host, Gilbert Ornelas, and elk hunting coach, Joe Gillian. You want to hunt elk? They live to hunt elk. Their goal is to share with you what they have learned grinding it out for over 35 seasons doing what they love. So come on into camp and set a spell. Welcome to Blue Collar Elk Hunters.
1: Grinders tuning in, thank you for listening to the Blue Collar Elk Hunting Podcast. Our goal is to share our knowledge and help you flatten that learning curve so that you too can have some of the very same incredible experiences that have given all of us here at elk bros a lifetime of memories if you like what you hear or see you can get all of this information plus so much more from our base camp elk hunting training camp the first in a series of online courses from our Blue Collar Elk Academy. Our base camp training camp allows me to use my coaching style and share almost 40 years of elk hunting experiences successfully hunting elk on public lands as well as over 20 years guiding hunters of all ages and experience levels. This course will be like nothing you have ever experienced in concept and structure using success based coaching techniques that will elevate your confidence and skill sets. Our camp will prepare you specifically from that final moment most in your control, those final minutes or seconds the elk is in front of you, backwards through each step and level, allowing you to see, visualize, understand, and relate every coaching point to what lies ahead, the next step, the next thought process, the next success. Because y'all, you've already been there you know what it looks like. By tapping my 30 years of teaching and coaching experience, our camps are developed considering multiple learning modes with text, visuals, audio, as well as video. And Basecamp will benefit those new to elk hunting all the way to the 10 to 15 year vet. So if you are looking for that one thing to help you fill that tag this year, invest in the most important piece of equipment there is. You. And your elk hunting knowledge, you can find the Blue Collar Elk Hunting Academy and the Base Camp Training Camp at ElkBros.com. That's E L K B R O S.com. Keep dreaming of the screaming, believing in achieving, and most of all, keep grinding. All right, guys, I'm on the
0: line with Joe Gillia. Did I say that right? Nope, Gillia. It's Gillia. A- Yep, Julia.
1: I said okay. I corrected before you were able to correct me there. I got. It. <laughs> hey, man, those Italians are always screwing with you. Don't worry about it.
0: I, you Italians, I tell you what, yeah, always these difficult names. I don't, I <laughs> <laughs> great food. <laughs> it is great food. I, I would be, uh, yeah, I could live off of off of Italian food. So, uh, Joe is uh, is kind of the the owner founder and and the coach over at elk bros elk bros.com which uh offers the blue collar uh podcast elk hunting podcast right Mm -hmm. and the the other aspect to i'm just pulling the website up here to the elk bros website is it is a, a complete and very thorough online elk hunting uh program that kind of walks you through every aspect of of the elk hunting um the, the elk hunting thing we do man this uh the, this passion that we all love can you tell us a little bit about that
1: yeah so we call it the blue collar elk academy and uh, actually that is what started this whole venture it was it was the idea the dream to be able to 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 do that because elk bros is basically we're in our infancy man you know uh it's going to be gosh man it's a little over a year uh it's actually going to be 2 years this september we're in elk camp and and guys that i hunt with that have been clients of mine over these uh years number of years have become super close friends and we're out in the woods and and i've never been a just a, a point and shoot guide i i'm a retired coach teacher 34-year coach, 30-year teacher, and it's just what I do, and sharing the passion of whatever I'm doing, and elk hunting is a huge part of my life, and what I do, yeah. and when I'm out there, I'm always, you know, I'm always trying to teach these guys about the the, the moment, the memory, the hunt, and and trying to get them to not just go through the motions and look for an animal and harvest an animal. I really want them to understand the moment. I want them to take it all in. That's why we do this. And mm-hmm. so I'm, I'm always teaching them. And I had these guys that have been with me, and we get back to camp. And if you've listened to our podcast, you hear about the Venezuela mafia. and that's, Yeah, uh, yeah. You've heard them, right? Oh yeah, I've heard the Venezuelan Ma- mafia. I love yeah. it. Yeah, so that's Manano Grateron and uh, and and Luis Gonzalez are 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 the two guys that are just <laughs> incredible, incredible people. I mean, salt of the earth per people, just exceptional Mm -hmm. human beings, unbeknownst, unlike the rest of us that are in this group. These guys are good guys. And, (laughs) you know, they're, uh, they're talking to me one day, and, and actually at separate times. And Manano's like, Joe, why, you know, he said, you don't, you don't guide, he says, you teach, you know, you coach, he says, you know, all this information that you know, you should be sharing it. And what I didn't realize is he knew that I had this little heart issue a year before, and and I think Manano thought I was going to die, <laughs> and he was like, <laughs> he was like, dude, you better share this stuff before you die because we could use it, right? And, uh, so we got talking about it, and and then Luis was like, you know, bro, what is it? Is it money? Is it time? What do you need to to share this? And you know i thought about it and they just really stayed on me and it was february after that first hunt that you know uh i had been going through stuff and thinking about it and when i taught school i taught video production graphic design web design um and so oh i didn't know that that yeah. makes it pretty that's perfect yeah, yeah. so the skill set was all in my wheelhouse man i mean what you see yeah. when you look at the Blue Collar Elk Academy, that's my skill set. So there is, I don't have to go outside to hire to do any of that. I, you know, I produce mm-hmm. all that myself. So I, I bought the domain domain name in February. I called the guys up and I was like, hey, it's happening. And and I named it Elk Bros. And I named it Elk Bros. And, and I always like to explain that because I'd, it's not a, a boy's society. Uh, far from that. But because my daughters, I have two daughters, and one of my daughters is an incredible huntress and uh, incredible shot. So it wasn't to exclude anybody, but what it was was to honor this relationship that I've had with my brother-in-law, Chav, Leroy Chavis, who's been my hunting partner with me. This will be our 39th season. And um, the guys that have shared elk camp with me over the years and the name was just to honor that, you know, those people yeah. that I've had yeah. that have been, I mean, you know, man, the whole thing is about the camaraderie, you know, that, that we have and, and the moments and the times and the things that you share and what you get to know about people. Cause I tell you what, you, you want to get to know somebody's strengths, weaknesses, their shortcomings, their pains, I'll come with them for seven days. And it's amazing. Yeah
0: yeah for sure you you kind of when you're when you're hunting with somebody, uh, especially if you 're like hunting the for for the first time with somebody you, you learn fast right oh, yeah. there it, because you see you see these emotional highs and emotional lows and and you're just all over the spectrum with with uh, somebody's personality you know and and uh, you can tell a lot about a person for sure i think i think that and serving in the military with somebody is is where you can really quickly learn and identify kind of the character and nature of another uh, another person for sure so that's interesting because i was going to ask you about where you came up with the name elk bros
1: yeah that was it man and you know if you look at elk bros you'll see our logo you'll see a a a big orangutan looking guy and a little smaller guy there and the, the big guy's me and the smaller guy's chav chav is uh 10 years my senior and um uh he is a actually a Uh, Hall of Fame cross country runner from Eastern New Mexico. And, you know, I think he's 140 pounds soaking wet and I'm just, so yeah, so it's been a, it's been a great partnership over the years. And in fact, uh, we just uh, started, we just went out with a line of camouflage our own elk bros camo pattern oh you did yeah yeah real excited is about it, it you got you got some i could see right there oh yeah yeah i'm, I'm sure i have some here let's see here
0: you guys are just kind of getting into dipping your toes into a little bit of oh anything, yeah
1: huh yeah oh cool yeah so oh, yeah, you got the logo. yeah nice yeah so this is Pretty and enough. you can see it on the that's that's the back of the neck you can see the logo on the back of the neck there and is that like a what, what kind of material is that so this is a uh, a dry fit material. It's like a, oh, gotcha. um, it's a wicking. It's a polyester spandex that's supposed to be moisture wicking. It's made the guy that makes it makes uniforms for, uh, again, sports related. <laughs> so yeah, yeah. Uh, makes, <laughs> well, you guys are all coaches. Yeah, we're all coaches and and makes uniforms for uh, kids that play out in hundred degree heat <laughs> in Texas. So we went with that it's all sublimated it'll never fade and you know what's so incredible about that line is is i've always talked about camo over the years and always been very critical about it and and had my own ideas and so this is something that i that's been in the making that i'm putting my money where where my mouth is and and starting this and and this shirt that it's this long sleeve shirt that uh for you know most places when you go when you talk about elk bros um you and I were talking ahead of time. And, and I told you that, you know, our industry has gotten this big gear thing, right? It's all about, you got to have the latest and greatest. And, and, you know, I was a school teacher, high school coach. I have never hunted outside of New Mexico because I just really, um, between time of everything that I was doing coaching and having to get up in the mountains and the cost of raising a family, I had to put my priorities in other places. And I'm a guy that I still hunt in tennis shoes. I hunt in multiple kinds of different camo, whatever I can find on sale. I use, use the same bow for the last 15 years. I shoot instinctively, no pins. So I don't have to worry about any of that. So the whole idea of elk bros. And when we talk about our grinders, cause all of us are grinders, man, we're out there doing that nine to five, eight to five. And, and, you know, we work hard for our money and, and, I, what I wanted to tell people is you can do this, and I have nothing against gear it 's all good. I mean, if it makes you comfortable and it's something you enjoy, if it 's your christmas deal that 's way cool, but it should never keep you out of the elkwoods because
0: yeah that that's a that 's a great topic and and this has kind of been one of the themes of the school of september mm-hmm. is uh that, that we 've been doing is is talking about what 's between your ears versus what you 're wearing what, Absolutely. What the gear is. And, and, and we all love the gear. We all love the gear. And I, it, this is not something that's negative against gear in any right. way, because I've got, I've got some great gear, but I've also got some gear that would make people's heads spin because it's so outdated and so old and so wore, worn out. But, but we have, we have different mindsets. Everybody has different mindsets. A lot of people prioritize the gear, but I, and I think it was Chris Rowe that, that I was talking to and, and I think you and I are along the same lines. Is if it comes down to you buying a tag versus buying a new set of boots, get that tag, man. Oh, get that Go to Walmart and get get a get a pair of hiking boots and 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 get that tag because that what's between your ears is is really what's going to make a difference. And that that is really what I like about these training camps camps at the the Blue Collar Elk Academy, right? Um, and, and this is all at elkbros.com which we'll put we'll put in the show notes and all that and you just launched this right yeah. the the actual academy
1: yeah yeah we did uh it just uh, it's only 10 days old and again you know w- when we did all this when i started doing all this when these guys got me into this it, it was about i've gone from coaching kids to coaching well we're still kids <laughs> i mean <laughs> it's just a little bit different focus group and you know there's there's so many things to learn and i I wanted people to understand just what you said is that you can use this up here, you can use these eyes, mm-hmm. you can use this nose, you can use these ears, and those are probably the most- most valuable tools that you're going to have out there, and you combine that with some knowledge inside this head, and there is nothing that you're not able to do out there and yeah yeah I truly believe i tell I tell people this and and i I told these guys when I talk about the Venezuelan mafia and these guys you know i I told these guys when I first met them is that when I put my hand on my bow and I start to walk out of camp, I truly believe every time I go out of camp that I can take an elk. I truly believe that, and that's a yeah, confidence talking that,
0: about that um, yeah.
1: And and I I want I want people to have that confidence level. Does that mean I'm going to kill an elk every time? No, but I guarantee you, I feel like I got the tool set and I can make it happen every time. Exactly, exactly. And and I I love that mentality. And so
0: when we're talking uh, along this information, you know, we're I'm, I'm going to come back to the the academy here, the Blue Collar Elk Academy, and these spike camps uh, or base camp, yeah, uh, and and summit camp. And whoops, I'm trying to click on it here. Uh, but anyway, the point the point is, when I, I, I just mentioned. You know, instead of buying such and such gear, get a tag. But also, the tags, if, especially if you're if you're hunting in your resident state, the tags are going to be cheap. If you're if you're if it comes down to learning about elk and right. elk behavior and how to hunt elk, how to call elk, how to pack elk out, how to locate elk, how to how to find elk, all this stuff, these these resources that we've been covering through the series of school of September are where you need to invest your money. And, and, and this one's, this one's really cheap for a lot of content.
1: Well, like th- this is insane. So w- when the guys were on me about doing this, uh, uh, like I said, I had a life event that happened. I, t- I told you about it one time that has for the last nine months, my focus has been changed on my, on my brother-in-law and him battling cancer. So I was building, this at the same time which has been a dream the camo was a dream uh this uh doing this is a dream and you know when uh i built this i built it from a coaching <coughs> aspect and and i and i tried to ask and people always ask me jim they're like so joe what makes you so successful out there well of course there's a skill set and there's a knowledge base right that that we have right but mm-hmm. One of the things that if I was to determine out of that is that here's what I believe, Jim. I believe that that so many people, and they do it all the time, man, campers, bikers, hunters that do everything wrong. I mean, they could be wearing no camo. They could smell like cigarettes. They could be going up the wrong Mm -hmm. trail, totally backwards, not know, even be lost and have an encounter with an elk. It Mm -hmm. happens all the time, right? But the problem is is when they have that encounter, when a hunter, even by accident, that's been hunting, and all of a sudden they have that bull in front of them, they don't know what to do with the situation because they've never been there. They don't understand that. And for me as a coach, when, when I coach kids in football, when I coach them in basketball, in track and field, what we always want to do is, is, is you think about the winningest teams. Why do they win so much? it And it always comes down, you hear people say it all the time. they know how to finish, right mm-hmm. and and I think that 's a huge part of it, and why do they know how to finish is because they know what it looks like. they know what success, they know what it at the end looks like the, you know those football teams and i and i i 've been saying this all the time. You know, you take a look at the most winning football teams that, in the last minute and a half, two minutes, they can get down the field in two minutes after they 've played how many hours and they couldn't get a field goal but in the last 2 minutes i know, I know. they can get down yeah. the field and they can kick a winning field goal it's because they have practiced that they know what it looks like to be there at that point you know a, a basketball team with a with a last second shot at 2.2 seconds they have practiced that they know what it looks like so when they get there they they know how to finish you know i have pole vaulters that We work what it feels like to go over a bar so that once they get to that point, they haven't even got there yet to that point. But when they do, they're going to know what to do with it when they get there, right? So That's a great point. So the whole idea when I built this academy is I see so many people that they get all this knowledge. Because when you start into the elk hunting realm, man, I it's so intimidating because there's all of this information like, okay, how am I going to hunt? Uh, am I going to backpack? Am I going to have base camp? Am I going to be in my truck? Uh, do I do this bow? What kind of broad hit? I mean, there's just tons of information down here at the bottom and we haven't even gotten into hunting the elk yet. Right. Yeah. All of yeah. this. It's so, that, that's so interesting. You say like, I just, I just had
0: this guy that I just met him. Uh, dude just moves from, um, Alabama or Uh somewhere down south right uh, up to up to Idaho right up to north Idaho and and he's going on his first elk hunt and and he's going hey Jim so how do you break down an elk how do you quarter an elk out and all this stuff and I'm like dude you are you are focusing on the wrong thing (laughs) you, you you've never hunted an elk the last thing you need to concern yourself with right now is how to quarter an elk out. I tell you what, you get an elk down, give me a call, I'll come help you quarter it out. But in the meantime, you, you I, need to work on how to find elk, how to yeah. hunt elk. How to, I got to love, get an the elk thinking, thinking, I gotta love the positive
1: thinking, man. I got to love the positive thinking.
0: I do too. Thinking. Yeah. Oh, I, I love it. Uh, the guy, the guy's fired up. He's super excited. He's a, he's a big time whitetail, uh, whitetail hunter. He's, uh, he's killed some big bucks. Uh, but but these elk are a lot different, you know, and so oh yeah, a uh, super nice guy. Yeah, and uh, it, it's it's like you said. I, I remember five or six years ago uh, when I when I got my first diaphragm read and and I went out and into the elk woods. I'm gonna and I'm thinking to myself, okay, I'm gonna try this whole elk calling thing. Right, Actually, right. this was gosh, I'm getting old, man. Eight or nine years ago, I guess now. Anyway, I go out and blow on this diaphragm, make a couple of cow mews, and all of a sudden, hundred yards from me, this bowl just about knocks me off of my feet with this big nasty old bugle. It was the coolest thing in the world. And he comes in out of the brush. I had no idea what to do. I'm like, holy cow. (laughs) Yeah. It's he's screaming at me. Oh now what do I do? He's screaming at me. What do I do? And I So it's the proverbial
1: dog chasing the car, Yeah. yeah. You know yeah, exactly. What exactly. you catch what it. What are you, you gonna do with it? <laughs> you
0: know? Yeah, and and that's exactly what my situation was. He he screamed his head off at me and just came busting in like like a freight train, man. And I had no idea what to do. He comes in and and I bust him out. He 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 left.
1: <laughs> so that's so, ex- exactly yeah. what I'm talking about. In in the way that we do this is is. I like to think of it and I explain it to everybody. It's like a pyramid. I mean, when you, when you talk about learning how to hunt currently right now, or any course, when you went to high school, when you went to college, they just started yeah. giving you all this information, man, down at the bottom, all this knowledge stuff, working towards, hopefully working towards a final point or a goal at the top. And what happens is, is, is I I, I like to compare it a, a lot to a video game, you know, it has all these different levels. I, you know, you spend all this time going through this little route at on the, on level one and boom, your guy's dead. So you start from the beginning, you try another route, boom, he's dead. and And you're trying to get to the next level when you don't even know what the next level looks like, what you're going to mm-hmm. have to contend with once you get there. And by the time you do get there, you've done so much crap on the first level that you don't know really how you got there in the first place, right? So the whole idea of what I do with my it's just a coaching strategy. This is how I coach. This is what I've done for years is I take that pyramid and I invert it. And I start with the moment that is most in your control as an elk hunter. And that is that final moment, that minute, those seconds when that elk is in front of you. And that is the one time that you can, and is going to determine a lot of times the difference between being you know, punching a tag and not punching a tag. The And mm-hmm. so if you understand what to do in that moment, if you understand how to deal with that situation, now you've just, you've really overcome and you know what it is to succeed. You know how to finish. And then from that point, now we come backwards. And now when we talk about the setup, when I start talking about the setup and how you need to bring the animal and where you need to bring in, and and, and what position you want it and how what technique you're going to use that, you're relating directly to where you're going on the next step because you just came from there. So it mm-hmm. lines it out. It is a it is success based learning. It's not failure based like that video game of falling through the hole, falling through the hole until you figure out. And it might take you years to figure out how to get to that level five in order to achieve that goal. Well, that's that's a lot of time, man. That's a lot of yeah. time in an elk hunter's yeah. life.
0: No, there's only so many Septembers, man. And, <laughs> and are you so? And you are you're mainly an archery hunter for elk, correct? Yes, sir.
1: But I. And, and uh, you, do,
0: I you do like guiding for for rifle hunters as well.
1: Yeah. So I do my season and which uh, which I hunt, and I've only ever been a bow hunter. I don't even own a rifle. Um, I have a shotgun for hunting. Uh, doves and squirrels. I'm a Southern boy. I'm back from the Carolinas. Uh, Yeah.
0: I was going to say, I want to talk about this Southern accent I'm picking up on.
1: (laughs) Yeah. You can take them out, but it's hard to get it out, boy. You can't. uh, (laughs) But uh, so I, I, I bow hunt, but I think what really opened me up, opened my eyes up to elk's perspectives and their needs is when I, when I was became a guide and I've been guiding now for over 25 years and I guide all through from, you know, September all the way through to January, man. And when you mm-hmm. do that, you get to just see this whole, it puts the whole picture together of their needs at certain times of the year, where they're going to be, what they're doing, what their their wants, what their likes and dislikes are. That once I started guiding year round, I think it really opened up my eyes to a lot of aspects about the lives of elk. Hmm.
0: So I'm just trying to get, I'm going to, I'm, I'm kind of backtracking here a little bit, sure. but so you're, you're in New Mexico. Yes, sir. How far, how far from Mexico are you?
1: How far from Mexico?
0: Yeah. If you got in a car and drove to the Mexico line, how, how long would it take
1: you? Probably seven
0: hours,
1: man, because. Oh, I'm, okay. So you're, I'm you're North, north New Mexico. Colorado. So I'm, gotcha. I'm 45 minutes from Colorado. So where, where I actually guide, um, I guard guide for a large ranch in Northern New Mexico that it, it, man, it borders Colorado the whole way. So, you know, when you hunt Southern Colorado, so much of Southern Colorado is the same aspect of everything that we hunt in here in Northern New Mexico. Mm-hmm.
0: I'm just trying to get a I'm, I'm an hour from Canada. So I'm trying to try geographically. I like to, I, I'm a nerd that way. I like to kind of see where you're at, but, uh, and, and, and you, so you you hunt uh, New Mexico, you've guided New Mexico right. uh, for a long time. Uh-huh. I think you've done like 34 elk over 36 years, something like that.
1: Yeah. Uh, and,
0: and yeah. <laughs> I, I'm just trying to give the listeners a, a little bit of a, you know, who, who we're talking to here in case they haven't heard of uh, Joe Gillia with the elk bros. Yeah. And so, um, and, and the, because I want people to understand like, when, when we're talking about like the, the resources and the, and the elk uh, resource of the uh, Blue Collar Elk Academy, mm-hmm. um, I want to I kind of go through and like just talk about what's in this course, what's in the academy.
1: So the cool Um, thing, the cool thing about the Academy is, is that it's basically, it's based on training camps and we're going to have three different training camps when all said and done. The first training camp is our base camp and our base camp is just that. I mean, it is the base knowledge that I don't care if you're a new hunter, if you're a 10 or 15 year hunter, you're going to find nuggets in our base camp that are going to, that are going to help you and and get you where you need to be. And so that's beginning and on. And then we go to our spike camp. And our spike camp is more of an intermediate type camp that takes some of these basic aspects. Like when I talk about basic calling, like when I start teaching somebody how to chuckle, I'm not really worried about them doing uh, this, this perfect sounding, um, you know, uh, championship call. First of all, I'm not a championship caller. I hunt elk, and I've only ever caught, I have never caught on a stage in my life. I have a lot of respect for those guys that yeah. do that, but I've just, I never have, man. Um, and there's some super callers out there. I think I am a very competent caller. I think uh, I'm, I'm a good caller. But when I teach somebody how to chuckle in the basic part here, I'm not worried about all the nuances. I'm trying to get them so that they can sound um, like an actual elk that does a chuckle. I teach them to do it a little slower. Enough. Yep. Yeah, and, and you don't have to worry about adding all of this stuff, man, because just to sound like that bull that's up there, you know, bulls sometimes sound like the worst elk in the woods, right? I know, and, yeah. And there's some things that kind of sell it every now and then. And I try to tell people like early season, one of the best location calls you can do sometimes early season is just a chuckle. There's some bulls that will only respond to a chuckle because it's it's not an aggressive call it's more of a passive call so i teach them that technique and but it's basic and then as we go into our spike camp we take everything that's the basic aspect in in uh, our base camp and we take it up a notch and then we have our summit camp which is our advanced camp that is really more it's going to be advanced extreme techniques Plus it kind of goes towards those people that guide and outfit a little bit. So it kind of gives them some things to, to put in their wheelhouse. So if you're somebody that's been hunting for 20 some years and you don't want to do the base camp and you just want intermediate, well, you can do those at a, at a whole different price point than what the base camp is because the base camp is really, that's everything, man. I mean, there's
0: so much stuff in it. I I think, I, I think it'd be. I'd be stupid to, to pass up on that base camp, man. Like, th- um, there is so much information. Uh, I mean, you talk about responsibility and ethics, understanding elk anatomy and shot placement, uh, shot placement, archery versus rifle. Uh, I love the anatomy breakdown, by the way. That, that thing is, is super
1: uh, helpful for, uh, you know, well anybody, if, especially if – go ahead. If you're going to close the deal, if you're going to finish – it you have to know how to do that and one of the things so like when you take a look at our shot placement we have shot recommendations that I recommend as your elk hunting coach there are shots that are devastating and and lethal shots that I don't recommend to my base campers and the only reason I don't is because I don't know their proficiency I don't know how much Mm -hmm. they know about the anatomy I don't you know there's the, the whole idea of when I, what I teach guys and same way I coached is you want to find possible failure points and eliminate them, whether it's in equipment, yeah. whether it's in your shot placement, whether it's in your calling. Um, if you locate those possible failure points and you get rid of those, you have just put yourself in line to be more successful. And by me telling guys to eliminate a particular shot, our goal in my camp when my training camp is two holes. If you shoot and get two holes, you have most likely taken out both lungs. I say most likely because there's some ways that you can get two holes without both lungs, but most likely you're both lungs. And I don't care if it's an elephant or a mouse. A good buddy of mine used to say this, Carl Gammage, uh God bless his soul, passed on us. But Carl used to say in that beautiful voice of his, "I don't care what it is, a mouse or an elephant. <laughs> you know, you put two holes in it, <laughs> it's going down, right? Yeah. And the other mm-hmm. thing it does is not only do we want to be responsible and put an animal down as quick as possible, but we want to ensure that we recover it. And by putting two holes in that animal, I have just now increased my blood trail. And by doing that, and, and I
0: am, for for clarification by two uh-huh. holes you're meaning an entry and an exit wound correct absolutely yeah 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 so uh you're not like flinging double arrows at him like robin hood or something
1: no 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 <laughs> no we're we're talking about we want a total pass through and and yeah. you know yeah when, when you talk about my optimum shot placement uh, you're going uh up the crease of that that leg about three inches behind it mid-body we're we're mid-body and And, and we're taking out both lungs at that point and you got to consider angles. And, and we talk about that in the academy because I think that's a lot of things people don't consider, you know, if they're, if they're shooting the pocket on an elk and, and it's a hard quartering, you know, away there and they shoot that pocket, there's a chance they're only going to get one lung, man, because of the angle. So there's, there's considerations and things that we want to eliminate. So that's our goal is to find possible failure points, let people know what those possible failure points are, and eliminate those so that they're going to be more successful. And that's in paying attention to the details. And, and that's what some of the things that you were talking about in here. So, you know, when we talk about anatomy, I talk about shot placement. And you're going to see a difference in shot placement from archery to rifle. And that just comes from the nature of the weapon. Yeah. You know, so, um, and I talk... Yeah, it is- Uh, uh, oh oh, go ahead go ahead I I, I talk about marginal marginal shots and I I think this is something that's not talked about enough because there are are uh, for me you and I you know I have people ask me all the time Jim they go Joe you know how far should I be shooting at an elk should it be 20 yards should it be 30 yards is there a limit to what that shot should be and I and, and I tell everybody look bro It is not my place to determine what your effective range is. You have to know that. You have to understand what your comfort zone is, what your effective range is, and then stay within that. And if you don't, now you're creating a marginal situation. Or if you're shooting at an angle, uh, an animal at an angle, and and you're not comfortable with that angle. That is a marginal situation. So in that point. Yeah, I I
0: love this section in it, and, and you you even you even have imagery to show what what is a marginal shot, and um, and, and then I I really like the words from
1: the wise from Chav. <laughs> yeah, you know.
0: <laughs> I so love
1: it. I in in the Chav and I, our personalities are two different. But we coached together for years, and. We've huh? reached a different kind of kid. I'm like this. I'm this passionate, emotional, I'm in your face kind of guy, you know, and, and Chav is very reserved, <laughs> very quiet. He's EF Hutton, dude. When he speaks. Oh, gotcha. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you better listen, right? <laughs> so, I love it. Yeah. He he like puts things just in a way that is, is only how Chav can put it. It's like short to the point. And, you know, here I'm rambling on, rambling on, and Chav will say it in 10 words you know so it, it's it's so i i know and i love
0: i love how the picture is there like the the picture of him right before the perspective yeah it just it, it like kind of pulls you in okay i've got i've got to listen um yeah, and absolutely. and so it just so people know when you're when you're in the academy here you've got you've got audio where you just you, you can hit the play button and listen where right. you could read the text uh and then you have a bunch of videos in there as well
1: and and, uh, and then you got to go through and, and read uh, Chav's perspective. And there's a bunch of buttons too. I mean, if there's a button there, there's a lot of interactive content. So if you see a button or you see a box, a lot of flipping boxes that'll give you information on the front. Um, when you get to the calling segment, I thought I was being original uh, with this until I heard you interviewing Chris. And I want you to understand something, Jim, is that I hunted for. 30 some years and I've started doing this whole podcast and getting involved in social media now for, well, about a year and a half. Right. So Mm -hmm. in doing that, I've started listening to, you know, other podcasts, other people looking at how people do this, because I truly believe that if you want to do things well, you go find people that are doing things well and, and then emulate and then build on that. And I was listening to your podcast the other day. That's what I do. Yeah. And, uh, and I think I was listening to another one of Chris and Chris actually years ago had started doing his Chris row website content and yeah, row hunting resources. Yep. Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, and he, um, he did basically kind of like an app thing before it's time, you know, with that website where he basically had, from what I understand, he had deci- decision based scenarios and, here, I thought I was being original with this because we we have the elk bros. When you get to the calling, you start seeing the elk bros decision tree, and it's the same idea, man, the same concept where I actually take people kind of on my shoulder on a hunt, and I give them the scenario, and then I tell them, and so I say, okay, so here's the possible decisions, and then – I let them make a decision, and whenever they make one, it doesn't go, eh, you're wrong. It says, okay, this is why you should think about this. So it becomes educational, and then they get to make another decision and see how and why I would take it a certain way. And so it just keeps going throughout on pretty much an actual hunt, and then once they get to the end, Generally, you know, we'll either give them the information on there or there'll be some video from from a hunt there that kind of shows the situation or kind of reinforces that. And mm-hmm. it's just that kind of interactive stuff that I think is, is super beneficial for people because I had a listener that called me the other day. Actually, I called him. He sent me an email and I called him because of his, his letter. And he was saying, Joe, I hunt in this area in Oregon that is so thick. And he says, You you say to hunt with your eyes. Well, there's no place for a high point for me to use binos. There's no place for me it's so thick, I'm not able I know, to get above. I
0: know exactly what how that guy feels because that's a lot of how North Idaho is. It's too brushy and thick. There's no spot in stock, any of that. So I, I know I know what he's talking about. It's a but lot funny, different
1: than the funny thing about the per, the thing was it was a perspective because in my mind when I was saying hunt with your eyes, I had it. It didn't include optics in any way. What it meant is, yeah. when you're moving through the woods, you got to be looking for sign. You got to be looking for parts of an animal. You got to be looking for um, things that uh, are a track or or droppings or um, dew trails. Or you use your senses when you're actually on the hunt, and instead of depending on a bugle man. I mean, there's Mm -hmm. so much more to hunting, man. We, we were given this nose, we were given these ears. And if we use them, Jim, my first technique to hunt elk when I knew nothing, I don't have this Italian nose for nothing, bro. (laughs) I, I, I I knew, uh, I understood animals and I understand how animals like to bed and how they like to find security and what feed areas are and what bedding areas. I got that. So what I started doing was I started walking crosswind from areas that I thought would be holding elk until I would catch their scent. And once I caught their scent, I would then turn and hunt into the wind and find the animals. That was my original technique. Using my nose, using their technique against them, basically. Mm-hmm. So
0: yeah, because that, it's pretty effective. They're pretty stinky, <laughs> if we're being honest. Oh it's, man, it, it's a like it's a good stink because it, you know it, it, it's uh, it's what we're looking for. But that that they actually uh, more so than any other animal I hunt, you could smell an elk from a long ways away.
1: Oh, absolutely, and and I would figure. Depending on the situation, I mean, definitely you're going to smell them 400 yards away, but I could actually smell those animals up to a half mile away and, mm-hmm. and work into them. And then once you start doing that, if you just, the, the more you get amongst these critters, the more you start to watch and that you start to learn about them and their behaviors and how they act, that's what you were talking about before. That's what you were talking about, the knowledge factor that's what we're doing with this academy is we're trying to shorten that learning curve by giving them knowledge. There's even buttons that you'll go in there just on, on elk behavior, man, as you're going through. Cause I, I don't want it just to be just a straight reading phase. We want interactivity. We want uh, people to, to have sidebars, you know? Um, and that's and, what I love about
0: these websites. Uh, like, like the one that you've got here, the, the, the way that, the the uh, a student we'll just say student the right. way the student can go through this and it's interactive. There's different tools to learn from, right. and it's so much better than like the old days where it was just. Uh, I remember I bought this book, and it was written in the eighties, and and I I want to say it was like, elk hunting the west or something like that. It's a, yeah, and it yeah. was this really dry dry read, and uh, uh it, it's just. You, you, how much of that information does a person really retain versus when you go get on the a, an interactive web, website like yours where you 've got the you 've got the audio you 've got the video um, and and then you 've got the you could read the text but you sure. also have the imagery like when i when i 'm looking at this this uh, your shot placement section right and, and you 've got you 've got your frontal shot angle you 've got quartering to broadside quartering away a hard quarter. All these different, the, the way that the imagery really spells it out, that's what sticks in a person's mind. Right. And so Absolutely. that's why these courses are so expensive. That's what sticks in people's minds. So, so um, as, a, I, I as just, a teacher, I really like the concept.
1: As a teacher, I learned that, and, and because I'm one of those people, I'm one of those people that learns by doing and seeing, right? Mm-hmm. And hearing. Me too. I, I'm not somebody who can just dive into a book. I've gotten better at it over the years because of it, you know uh, necessities, the mother of all invention, right? You, you want something, you'll go wherever you can get it. But I, I was one of those sure. people that I learned better from interactivity and people learn differently. Some people are auditory. Some people are visual. Some people are tactile with their hands on. And, and so I, I bring that to this and, and I don't want this just to be just a, yeah. a, an ad for, for my base camp. What I, what I want to do is I want to help those people out there and understand that, um, that there are, are ways to to simplify some of these things that you know elk hunting in its in its most simplistic form is is you and that animal and and you having to put the work in to get to where you can get within range to take the shot of that animal and mm-hmm. it, it takes so. You got to do your homework. You got to learn. I think that's one of the things that I learned as an athlete, as a coach, as as a worker, as a person. All those people that excel are people that put the time in, that are willing to learn about their adversary, mm-hmm. about the weaknesses, about the strengths, about their shortcomings. If you do that, you are now arming yourself with a knowledge that's going to help you to do that. And you know, take calling for example. I think calling can get so complicated or sometimes way oversimplified. I mean, we've we've gotten it so that we've told people, all right, just just start ridge running and screaming bugles. And mm-hmm. a bull's going to bugle back to you and he's going to come running into you and you're going to kill it, right? <laughs> mm-hmm. I, I can remember the first time I wanted somebody to go with me to shoot video of my hunt. So what I did was I, I gave him an actual video of somebody videoing a hunt and so he came over to my house the next day and he's like oh this is easy so we set up on the edge of a meadow you call they come running in and you kill it (laughs) it's like (laughs) 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 that's how it happens right yeah yeah it's easy as that yeah. <laughs> Didn't happen that way, man.
0: I don't know. I don't know why less than 10% of elk
1: hunters actually tag out. I, I can't figure it out. <laughs> yeah. And so you know, And we bring that up in our podcast. We're like, okay, so let me ask you a question. What percentage of guys out there do you think, like during the bow season, what percentage of those guys have a great bow? Uh, you know, 100% of them have their yeah. great bow. And what percentage of them have their camouflage? Oh, 100%. How many of those guys out there do you think have an elk call? Probably a hundred percent, right? You know, and all of them are, are using all the same equipment, have the same gear, but only ten percent of people are killing elk out there. So why is that, man? And and you brought it up, is that they they're, they have all the gear, but they're they're missing something, man. They're missing the knowledge up here and how to apply that gear to the situation to make it work mm-hmm. for them, right? Okay, because. I they haven't seen it. Couldn't agree more.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Couldn't agree more. It's 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 the one element that I, I, I you could and it's this is super obvious, but I'm going to say it right? because I'm master of the obvious sometimes anyway. So I might as well uh, maintain my stigma of that. But um, you could take a guy with a three thousand dollar bow and and another five thousand dollars in other gear and send him out to the woods and. uh, Put him up against a guy that's uh, shooting, shooting a 20 year old bow and, and a flannel shirt, but knows elk. Right. I'm going to take the guy in the flannel shirt Absolutely. every day of the week. So, and, and that's that's the concept of stuff like the blue collar uh, elk academy and, and and these others. And and you were saying you don't want to make this a whole ad or whatever. But but the the and I'm sounding like a broken record on on, on school of September. But but the point of these is to get a little bit of a different perspective from everybody that I'm talking to, right. and also provide the the resource that's going to go a lot more in depth than we can on a podcast. Because let's face it, there's only so much we could do on a podcast. Yeah. And so much learning that can happen on a podcast. And so the the point of these is to get some perspectives right. and, and get some knowledge, learn something, have a laugh or two, but also have a resource to follow it up. And that's what this uh that's what this is uh this is gonna help us out with with uh
1: with so, your resource there. So let's do this then. You got people that are listening for a different perspective. I'm gonna give a different perspective for you because it, it's it's something that I, I hear all the time, uh, different things. So I can give a different perspective in, in, in how to hunt, how to call in, in different areas like that, because, mm-hmm. you know, I hear about a lot of people that are always trying to get as far back as possible to get away from people because they figure that the elk are less pressured. And so therefore they're going to be easier to call in. And, this guy doesn't do that um, because I don't always have that option. Yes, we have wilderness in New Mexico. And yes, you could hike way back into the back country and do that. But I've taken 34 elk in the last 36 years, all public land, all uh, from the, the state draw, mm-hmm. and been very successful. And I've been very successful doing that in high use areas. And I think what happens is that a lot of times people are fed this picture that you have to go get a pack on your back. You have to hike in six miles to where the aspens are just beautiful and gorgeous. And, and the, and the elk bugles are ringing through the hills and that's how you're going to be successful. Well, when there's it, a lot I,
0: of nostalgia and romance in that. And, absolutely. And, I, and that's what, that's what's fun to watch on YouTube, right? Sure. Um, absolutely. And, and so, so there is that aspect of it, but, uh, i'm with you K I i know where you're going so
1: yeah so what, what i what i do is i tell people is look is people say if 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 elk smell a human being or if they see them on something boom they're gone they're they're the next county over well you know there might be places in colorado where animals can head over the next ridge after ridge after ridge and not see another person or another ranch or another farm there's not many of those in in our state um it's, everything's bound by something. They're going to come across usage no matter where they are. And I truly believe that there's a difference between high-use areas and low-use areas. And I think that there are areas that a lot of hunters pass by because it's not where elk are supposed to be. And it's some yeah. of the best hunting that there is in actuality. I'll tell you a true story. True story. Uh, I'm hunting in on, on public land, um, and we're, we're in, in our camping area, and there was kind of like designated camping where you had to camp, right? So in the morning when everybody mm-hmm. left, it was like frigging NASCAR, all these ATVs and everything going out. Well, <laughs> we, where we were camped, were kind of like on the route going to high country, right? Where the other camp was was kind of down in the low – ugly country so first thing in the morning we're coming down this atv trail and i kid you not we're the only atv going down and we had i don't know 14 atvs come by and say hello and talk and wave everybody's going up and we're going down right we were probably hunting Mm -hmm. probably not three quarters of a mile from the designated camping area and had two bulls down the same morning and should have had a third before 10 o'clock right and we're three quarters yeah. of a mile down in this lower country from a designated camping area but you know but those people that are camping they're like "Oh, well, there can't be any elk around here we're camping here right i know <laughs> i've had them come right through camp <laughs> absolutely <laughs> so absolutely you know i that the the concept
0: that you're talking about i i've kind of coined a phrase i don't even know if i've used it on on the show before but it's it's called i call it the trailhead dementia and and everybody thinks that they need like this this official formal trailhead to start from or a a very specific you know blocked off logging road where they could park yeah heck no man you if you're on a dirt road and I don't care what rhyme or reason you have. If you could pull over to the side where it, where you know dang well nobody else has ever done that before, yep. get out of that truck, park right there, and hike into those dang woods. That, th- those elk are in there. It, it, obviously, there, there's, gonna, there's, there's more factors to that, but just on a basic, uh, a, a very basic uh, idea, I guess, uh, I don't go to trailheads. I very rarely go to trailheads. I very rarely rarely go to old logging roads or or, or cat roads and 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 do that. I, I park in some random spot. People probably driving by think that I broke down on this dirt road. Yeah, absolutely. Yep. Yes. <laughs> you know what I mean? And yeah. and I lock my truck and I head into the woods and I, and I get elk responses everywhere. And and like you said, uh the the elk the elk from last year, old broken tines here was point seven four miles off the road it's not like I had to go six miles back or 10 miles back. I'm not There's able to tell you
1: how many times, because one of my favorite things to do is when I put an elk down uh, is that I will go and get my ATV and I will try to find access and i and, and I've got my, my elk marked on my GPS. Right. And so mm-hmm. all I'm trying to do is now I'm trying to drive and, and see how close I can get for the pack out. And, and I, am not able to tell you how many times it's been like 0.33, 0.48, 0.56, yes. you know, from an actual access of some kind. So, uh, you know, people think that these animals, they are extremely intelligent, they're extremely smart, they're going to be areas where people drive right by them, all it takes is 400 yards of a ridge, and you'll never hear them sometimes in the thick trees, you, you won't see mm-hmm. them, you know, so it, I, I think we spend so much time going by elk, um, looking for elk. And I don't have the option. So in New Mexico, it's not like Colorado. In Colorado, when you're giving uh, an OTC tag, you can hunt any of the OTC units. So if I don't find anything here, I can drive 20 miles and try this other location, right? Well, we're giving a hunt unit. So, um I kind of consider, just like, again, when I coach in a very small school, so I always have to deal with the athletes I get. I don't have people moving in and out all the time. So when I yeah. hunt in a unit, it's the same concept. I got to deal with the, the girl that came to the dance with me, man. I got to hunt the elk in that area. I don't get to leave. Yeah. So I have to find other ways other than just screaming and, and to to locate and to hunt these elk. And... What I tell people is a lot of times they end up just going by these areas and st- instead of really using their senses, paying attention, finding the food source, and finding how these elk move through there. We are locked in, so we have to find a way to hunt these animals. And sure, if if, if we have a bull that's screaming that's, that wants to play challenge game, well, that's an easy, right? Mm-hmm. But how many of those animals are doing that? And so many people go by elk looking for elk. And and they're generally yeah, looking for I them agree. all in the same place.
0: You know, last, I, uh, last season, I had, I, I don't know if he was a five or a six point bull, mm-hmm. run right across the road, right before dawn, right, uh, as I'm driving to my hunting spot, right across the road. Uh, a couple days later, I'm driving, I'm driving down this road. Now, I'm not saying – this is not a uh, promotion to road hunt, okay? Sure. That, that is right. not what I'm saying at all. Right. What I am saying is as I'm driving to my elk spots, three different scenarios where I saw bull elk from the road. So, that tells me and, – and I imagine – this is going to be very regional specific, I think, in a, in a lot of ways because there's different nuances. Like like for you in New Mexico, I imagine right. if you're six to ten miles in the backcountry, mm-hmm. the climate does not lend itself to hanging meat and and making six pack trips out over two two days. You know what I mean? Right. Like, right. Where I'm at, I could find a nice cool creek and hang that meat, and it's good for a couple of days. Right. Uh, you, you know, I could take my time. I, I imagine in New Mexico. Uh,
1: in september you 're probably in what in the eighties no well, it depends you 're night again, it depends i mean and that 's the thing about New Mexico is you know you can go from seventy five hundred up to ninety five hundred and have totally different temperatures up there right and mm-hmm. but but again you 're right though during the daytime, you can have those eighty degree temperatures and then at night it can drop down to thirty six you just get those extremes like that, right.
0: So you, you get a lot of disparity between day and night. Yes. Yes. Temperature
1: wise. Yes, absolutely. Because I I
0: I've lived in uh, I've lived in areas in, in like Utah where there's just not a lot of disparity. If it's 95 degrees in the day, it's like 89 at night. It's crazy. Yeah. <laughs> it just you know, that, that sucks into those rocks and stays there. Um, yeah, we did That's get interesting that, man. too. Yeah. Yeah. I, I I I was coming through New Mexico one time. It's February or or maybe early March, Mm -hmm. and I'd stopped at this truck stop. They were giving away, uh, and I'm on I-40, and they were giving away uh, free coffee. Actually, it wasn't a truck stop. It was one of those rest stop areas, right? Yeah, okay. Nice, hot coffee, right? No lid on it. They just one of those styrofoam cups. I go walking back out to my truck. It was so dang cold that (laughs) by the time I got to my truck, the coffee was cold and i'm not kidding you it was cold coffee oh, yeah. in in a five minute walk it was like the it was that year that there was all those those uh that crazy ice storm down yeah. throughout the south and, and through the panhandle of texas you remember mm-hmm. that oh yeah that, that had to be like 2000, 2001,
1: somewhere around there. I actually remember. Actually, it was right around 2007. Uh, My daughter was going to school in in, uh, Canyon, Texas. I had to drive home in that. uh, Usually, a four hour trip took me eight hours just because it just, everything was iced over. Man, it was crazy. Yeah,
0: Yeah. it's crazy. Well, and it wasn't wasn't that ice storm, but it was something like that. It was uh, some crazy weather event. And, uh, uh, anyway, <laughs> so uh, I just – I say that to to kind of highlight that it, New Mexico and Arizona it does not mean Sonoma Desert, you know, 110 degrees oh, no. year-round. No, especially uh, – You know what I mean? But, yeah, uh,
1: especially northern ahead. New Mexico. But you can have those years and, and, and have those times when those days are just – I mean, that sun is just beating. and yeah. And then we get those afternoon – you know thunderstorms that come through you can put your clock by it you know three o'clock four o'clock you're going to come they're going to pour on you they're going to get done and then everything's cooled off a little bit we had one year when it was just an eternal thunderstorm i mean for like five days we just got poured on man it was unbelievable so what did that do to the elk when that happened you know it 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 didn't – it actually helped us, man. It just cooled things off. They got really, really active. Um, it, it didn't uh, send them down in holes or anything like that. I, I think our animals, again, elk adapt to their situation, whether they're in Idaho, whether they're in Estes Park, right? They adapt yeah, to the yeah, situation. Yeah. And they're just used to those thunderstorms coming over. They hunker down. We hunker down. It goes by, and things are cooled off, and they just get after it again. So – uh i I have found that you know when I hunt elk i actually and, and i just i i was laughing about this i was um responding to uh, instagram that uh that guy uh does from western contours and and he was took a picture of himself resting. And I truly believe like when I'm out there, I'm kind of Forrest Gump it, man. If when I'm tired, I sleep when I'm hungry, I eat, you know, and when I got to do, you know, (laughs) I do, you know, but uh, the rest of the time, other time I'm hunting. And I always try to pattern myself with the elk. When the elk are most active, I want to be most active. When they're not, I don't want to be. I'll take a nap out in the woods when they're taking a nap out there. I'll sit down when I'm hungry and, I'm, and, and I'll eat because I, you got to take care of yourself when you're out there because it really helps you to stay in the game it still helps you to keep grinding and to keep working that Mm -hmm. i think a lot of guys try to get a little bit too gung-ho that you know i'm not going to eat drink i'm just going to put on mile after mile after mile and by day three man it's it's just really wearing on them so you know yeah i'm really big on on when i hunt elk i try to take on an elk atmosphere and and everything i do whether i'm calling them whether i'm you know, following them, whether I'm, you know, I find their, their, uh, here's a nugget for a lot of people. When, when you are hunting out there and you're hunting elk and you're trying to locate elk and you come across those, um, trails, those elk trails that are moving, you know, laterally across those hills, move with them, man, move with them, you know, follow those trails, find out where they're moving, how they move, the types of areas, what, that is taking you from one spot to another and you could real easily find a corridor that's taking you from bedding to feed or something like that. You know, it's, it's just taking on that whole elkish atmosphere when you're out there hunting.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Couldn't agree more. I want to kind of get back to, uh, Talking about locating elk and that 's kind of along those lines, sure, we were talking about how far you need to be or not mm-hmm. need to be mm-hmm. uh, those kind of things and and i, I also we should clarify um, you know it's not we 're not saying you 're not going to be successful by going further from the road right i mean right. it 's not like you could find some big old bowls six to ten miles back into the Absolutely. back country, and sure. if you 're camped back there. It's an experience you'll never forget. And so I'm not, I'm not, we're not saying that at all. Uh, What what we're saying is you don't have to necessarily do that. Um, No, and
1: and what I'm doing is giving a different perspective because a lot of people do do that, right? And so this is that perspective. I'm a base camp type of guy that likes to use transportation of some kind. and, And for me, it's generally an ATV to get to another area if I'm not walking out of camp. If I, if I can and and we're doing groups. We have guys that will go out early, like two hours before daylight. Then we have guys that walk out of camp. So we try to, to hit near to far in different areas. So that transportation becomes just a mode for me to get to an area, and then I am back on foot again uh, when I'm hunting. So um, when you talk about locating elk, one of the things that we do, especially if we are group hunting, now if you're solo, um, it's a little bit different, but if we're group hunting, we like to do just what I said. We'll send to different areas, and we'll have guys that walk out. And we are basically, um, you're hunt scouting at the same time. I mean, you should always be paying attention to what you're doing, paying attention to your nose, your eyes, and stuff, sure. and track what's sure. going on. And our our goal is to, is to cut elk, man, it's just like you're trying to cut track on a cat. You know, you're paying attention to those areas that... Are going to show you sign if it if it's mud in a in in a in a trail if it's if it's mud in a road if it's around a pond area um, if you're able mm. to find uh, trails going through trees especially what happens is from grassy areas to once they get into that dark timber those trails really get evident once it starts getting in that dark timber because of the dirt that's in there so you're looking for that fresh stuff we're we're trying to find beds where we can find fresh urine where they're bedding down in areas or or, or we're trying to find beds from where they've been that night bedding down in a feeding area down there so once we start locating that locating those animals we start putting together where that feed area is where that bed area is and that gives us a whole movement route of these guys and once you have that peg jim man you're in high cotton because now you don't have to depend on them being at the feed you don't have to depend on them being at the bed but the cool thing is you know where the bed is so that's where they're gonna be for six or seven hours right so you can work that, but you can work that corridor in between. Forget about waiting for animals to get to a park or to get to that feed down there. Find that corridor between them, and you're going to have a whole lot more time and a whole lot more opportunity, and you're going to have better setups because you're going to have, you know, it's going to be tighter in those corridors. So that's, I don't know if that's along the lines of what you're looking for. No,
0: absolutely. No, absolutely. I just I just like to throw random stuff out there and, and listen to, to how people respond because I always get nuggets out of that. Yeah. Like I have no idea what direction you're going to take it and I love it because yeah. uh, you just talked about something that would be, it, it got me thinking of this one particular area that I, I'm always so focused on getting to that bedding area but the corridor is so active. Uh, I'll bet Absolutely. you. Absolutely. Uh, anyway, I just, I just gave me an idea. I'm going to try it. I can't and, wait for September.
1: <laughs> and and I, I think most people that's, you know, so that's like, I'm always out there two hours. I'm trying to always locate probably about two hours before daylight, an hour at the minimum. And, you know, people have asked me, Joe, when do you start calling? But dude, once I, like, if I go to an area on the bike, then I park the bike, and I, I just sit down for a while. I just like to let things calm down. And then after that, man, I'm, I mean, I'm, I'm cow calling as I'm moving, and I'm sounding like a group of, of cows. I am cow call oriented where a lot of people are bull call oriented. Not this boy. I'm, I'm cow call. I'm a lover before I'm a fighter. I like to introduce a cow because it helps me if I need to introduce a scenario of a bull coming into that cow because, uh, so let me stick with the locating, and then I'll explain that, what I just talked about a little bit more, but I'm doing that. I am moving. I am cow calling. I am walking crosswind, and the reason I like to walk, if possible, I like to walk crosswind. It doesn't always, it's not always conducive, but when I go crosswind, that lets me smell, and usually I like to walk crosswind so that Uh, generally early in the morning, that those thermals are falling, so I'm able to be below those corridors where animals might be working into a destination or they might be in a feed area, and by going crosswind, I can see ahead of me, I can see things ahead of me, and I get to smell everything to my side, and I can still see down to my other side before my wind gets there. So by doing that, I've actually in, I've opened up two of my senses. By me walking crosswind, I can walk and I can look at everything in front of me. I'm looking with my eyes. I'm looking for the motion. I'm looking for the movement. I'm listening with my ears mm-hmm. so that I can hear any rocks or I'm cow calling. And I'm listening for that mew. And understand something, too. A cow call is a location call. Bulls respond to a cow call. So it becomes a location call for me as well. Uh, I do use bugles. I'll talk about it in a second. But by me doing this, by me cow calling and moving forward, because I really like that pre-rut, rut rut staging phase. I get a lot of animals Mm -hmm. that move in silently. So I'm really watching. But now I've got my eyes... But as soon as something, I catch that scent off to the side, boom, now I'm locked in because I know I have animals either that have fresh urine there or I'm actually smelling the animal, right? So mm-hmm. b- by doing this, I've actually opened up my phase of being able to locate uh, the different animals. So that's that's kind of how I like to approach it.
0: Okay. Can, I, can we just back up just a little sure. bit there? Mm-hmm. What, one thing that you said, you talked about... Um, you're cow calling, and you like to kind of sound like a a, a herd of cows, right? right. Is, so as as you're as you're doing your side healing in, so that you're kind of at this crosswind. Mm-hmm. Are you using multiple different cow calls uh, to and and just kind of and what I mean is actual physical calls, different not not sounds. You're you're use one uh, a read here. Oh uh, no no a, a no, mouth no no, you no. Know there. I
1: with with a single with a with a read in my mouth, I can. And I always call near to far when I'm doing things, so I can yeah yeah yeah, and I throw one through a tube out this way into the different sides, and so I just do it in how I do the timing, the repetition, and where I throw them. Okay, and so you're just trying to you're just trying to paint the picture that they, they, you got a few cows. Yep. Side or you know they're moving across. Yep. They're, they're that's moving it. across the countryside. Absolutely. Yep. Okay. Okay. And and what's nice is cool. if you, if you use a grunt tube um with a cow call gives a little bit deeper resonance and early season the, a lot of bulls will think that that's a bull mew as well so whether it's a cow call mm. or a bull mew they will respond they will come into that they'll come in silent to that a lot of times early but yeah that's i like to sound and it i don't worry about making noise it it just sells the whole thing if i'm walking and rocks are rolling i step on a stick and i'm cow calling it sells the whole thing as i'm moving So. That, yeah. Yeah.
0: I think that's a great point to to clarify right there. You're not deer hunting guys. Nope. Don't worry about stepping on branches and rolling rocks and, and making a little bit of noise. Uh As long as they're authentic, natural sounds, not, you know, don't uh, have your, your, uh, if you're in cell service, you don't want your phone going off with a text message. <laughs> yeah, so, no, absolutely. But not. Uh, no, that's that's great. I am really intrigued with the whole. I'm moving. I'm a few cow. I'm a few cows moving through the sticks. Right. Yeah. Uh, because I've I've done it before, and I've I've gotten elk to uh, essentially. I've actually had an elk bugle from mm-hmm. I, you know it was it was two or three hundred yards. Yeah. But absolutely. I'm just. But I, I, that's what I was doing. I had I had a reed in my mouth. I had an external cow call, mm-hmm. and I had this weird. What are those called? Where is that one? The, the it's like the wood cow call. Uh, shoot, I'm totally drawing a blank on what it's called. Anyway, it sounds pretty good. It sounds like a calf. Um, uh-huh. And uh, so I'm, I'm using those, and, and it had an an elk bugle. So I, I I see you're getting your diaphragm in your mouth. Let's let's uh, kind of hear what that sounds like.
1: So uh, a lot of times, too, if I'm going, I will introduce just with a single cow. Like if I'm moving to an area and I come to, you know, um, a, a rise, it's going to give me a new area to call into. I just uh-huh. – I'm just going to give one out there and I'm calling near Uh to far so by throwing some through the tube a little farther doing it closer you give that illusion of one cow being a little further, one being back, right? But I mm-hmm. start with just one. I just reach out with one, just with my mouth, because I always call near to far. There could be a bull close up to me. And and here's what I think one of the biggest mistakes guys do. I don't know if you notice that my grunt tube is a flexible. I don't use a bat. I a lot of times when I hunt solo, um, the, the problem that I think a lot of guys do is they always call towards an animal so they Mm -hmm. they take that and they do a bugle they do a cow call towards an animal and as soon as they do that if there is a a bull that's located close within 100 yards and I've just done a cow call right at him well now he thinks he has a cow that's closer than what that cow is so what is that going to do for the whole picture for you you're going to lock it make him wonder where where that cow is yeah 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 Yeah, but he thinks that cow's closer to him, right? So he bugles, Mm -hmm. and he's saying, well, here I am, girl. I'm right here. Come on in, right? So now you've already painted the picture that you're close. So now that's a real tough one to get out of right now because he wants you to come to him, and you've got to get him to come to you. So the only thing that you can do now is actually change up your scenario in a way that— you can change that picture so that that cow maybe is going to something else. So maybe I do introduce a bull, but I'm not going to go and scream a bugle. Maybe I'm going to start with a little chuckle in the back or I'm going to start with some pants or some grunts, something like that that's low-key that he knows he can hear and he knows the cow can hear. Now if that cow starts going away, now he's going to have to move in. So there's the cow, by, by always starting with a cow, it helps you set up whatever scenario you want to do. Like you said, when you said you gave that cow call and that bull bugle 300 yards away, right? Every mm-hmm. cow call you should have done from that point on should have been behind you to make him think that that cow is either moving away or further away than what that cow is. All right?
0: Is that, is that going to be the same if, uh, it, let's say, you got a couple guys hunting with a partner, one's caller, one shooter. Um that the the caller's still kind of throwing
1: them behind him, even if the shooter's you know 50 yards in front of him. So that that scenario, uh, having a partner helps a ton because now I'm pointing I'm I'm pointing right up to where I want them to get. They're going to fly up 50 yards. Now I can do things just with the mouth, and I can instead of that bull hanging up 80 yards from me as a solo shooter, it's only going to be 30 yards from my shooter, right? So mm-hmm. that does change things. But what I like about throwing it behind me is that by throwing it behind me, I'm, I have better ability to steer that bull. So if I see that bull coming and I know where my shooter is, and that bull starts to go off to the left, all I have to do is aim off to my right-hand side opposite of that bull and throw one back, and I can steer kind of that him. bull right by my shooter. So gotcha. it's still beneficial to throw behind you because now that animal has to look for that cow, and, and he doesn't think that that calls that cow is closer than what it is. Mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. Okay. So, uh,
0: so in a, in a scenario where let's say you're hunting solo Uh huh. and a, kind of the same thing, right? You're cause that's what I've done. I've, right? I've I'll, I'll throw my bugle tube behind me mm-hmm. and, and, and let a either a bugle or a cow call, because uh, I, I, I use both. I don't I know you, you were talking about a lot of hunters, they get hung up on doing one or the other, cow calls or bugles. Right. I don't, man. I, I like using both. And, right. I, and, and I let the elk tell me what to do. He, so, some elk, they're, they're going to tell you. They're going to respond to a cow call. Mm-hmm. And you could tell just by the bugle, the emotion and the sound, they want to mingle with a cow. And then you could tell with other responses, they're a pissed off, fired up bull, and they want to fight. And so right. it, it, I just let the elk tell me what to do. Yeah. Uh, you're the expert with this. Uh-huh. Um, when, when you're solo and mm-hmm. I'm throwing bugles, I, I'm, I'm actually, I kind of lost my train of thought there. I got, I got off the track.
1: So you're solo. You <laughs> said you had you have that scenario where you have so a cow, elk,
0: you do the and cow and
1: call and the bull answers to you, right? Yeah. Right. Exactly. Exactly. So, and, oh, oh, go ahead. Yeah. So that bull's 300 yards away right now, Right. Okay, Mm -hmm. so if that bull's 300 yards away, the first thing I'm doing is I've shut up and I'm closing the distance. I always, my first reaction, unless that guy is right on top of me, is I'm closing the distance. And I'm going to close the distance for two reasons. And I'm not going to stop listening with my ears and paying attention with my eyes because that bull, once he has sounded off, could actually be moving in. But he's at 300 yards, so I'm closing in. I'm going. Hopefully he sounds off again. If he sounds off again, he's telling me where he's at. If he's not and I'm starting to think that I'm getting within that bubble – then I'm going to go, we talk about this all the time. We talk about hurry up and slow down. Well, there's a point where I'm hurrying up to cut the distance, and there's a point where I feel it that, hey, I might be starting to get in the bubble here. I need to slow down. So I'm going to slow down, and I'm going to start listening, and I'm paying attention. Do I hear any cow calls? Do I hear anything that gives me any more information about that bull? Okay, if I don't hear anything, then he reacted the first time to a cow call. So that is what I'm going to give him first off. I always, again, my philosophy is always be a lover before you're a fighter, all right? Catch more flies with sugar than you do with vinegar, right? So uh, (laughs) I'm going to go ahead again now, and I'm going to do a real light cow call back behind me, just a single. That's all I'm going to do and see if I get a reaction, okay? If I don't get a reaction... You still have to be patient because when he hears that, depending on the time of the year and the mode of these animals and what's going on, because there's a lot of things that variables that come in here, I still have to be patient because when he heard me do that cow call, and he did hear me, I guarantee you he heard me, man. If he heard me from 300 yards and I've moved in now and I threw a little light cow call, he's heard it. But sometimes what they do is... Can you give us
0: an idea... Mm -hmm. Can you give us an idea when you say you're closing the distance, how much distance are you? You heard him, you you guessed him at eight or I'm sorry, 300 300 yards. yards. Right. How how much distance are you talking
1: about before you're in quote unquote, their bubble? So I figure anywhere between, And, and this kind of, okay, it's a good question because sometimes an animal, if they're moving towards me and I can tell they're moving 200 yards and I'm good, right? Okay. But Mm -hmm. if, if I'm trying to get in that animal's bubble, I'm trying to get that 150, maybe 100 range, depending on the terrain and the cover, because some areas are not, uh, don't help you with that. If it's very, very open you got to be real careful about that. If it's a real thick area, it's way more conducive to getting into that 100 and still being noisy and throwing a cow call because, again, it just sells the whole scenario for you. If I'm coming in and that bull hears noise and I throw a cow call back, but he still can't see me because of the thickness, man, I'm starting. That's a great situation because he has to come in and he has to come into my comfort zone and my shooting range in order to see where that cow's at. I, I tell people that open area gotcha. is great for seeing elk. It's not great for killing elk. The thicker, the better.
0: Yeah, I know. I I, I, see, that's one of, one of the reasons why I'd be reluctant to come down to New Mexico is, is I feel like there's a lot more open area than what uh-huh. I'm used to. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and so, I, I don't know. Like, I grew up hunting mule deer that way. And so, it's not like I'm, I'm foreign to it. But
1: uh, for, for calling in elk, I don't know how guys do that.
0: when it's super open like that
1: well uh there's a couple things you can do you can use the terrain you can use the dips and rises so that animal has to top out or has to come up you know Mm -hmm. to see you so you can use those in in those kind of areas decoy is another hot topic to talk about that uh, can really change things for you but uh or you do it so that that animal's on a different level and has to come up to your level. If you look on our base camp, there's one where I talk about using the terrain, and I'm in a very open area, and this bull actually comes from a lower area, and he has to come up in order, and he walks by me at 20 yards because he's looking for me because I've thrown those calls back behind me, and he's trying to determine and trying to locate, and he's not able to see from that level down. And people have said that bulls don't like to go uphill. Hmm. hmm. Uh, I tell you what, man, you paint the right scenario. They're going to they go uphill, downhill, you know. Uh, yeah. Yeah,
0: definitely. Yeah, I don't, I don't subscribe to that theory at all that uh... – I, I understand that if you're if you're bugling with a bull that wants to fight and, and you're in that challenging bugle mode, right, uh, the, the, the elk the, the, the bull will feel a little bit at a disadvantage if it's real steep terrain to come from below. But it's so easy to maneuver onto the side heel and get on the same level with that bull. It should be a non-issue. But like you were saying, you're a lover before a fighter. And if you're, if you're cow calling that bull in, they don't, they don't give a damn if they're going up or down. Uh, they'll, they'll Yeah, I, I agree with that. Yeah, absolutely. I don't worry about it, I, I guess you, is what I should say. Yeah.
1: And you go back to that scenario where you had, I've moved in on that animal 150, 100 yards, right? And I throw out a cow call and he does not respond. My first thing to do is right now I'm still shutting up, right? I've thrown up that cow call there, and I'm looking because at that point, that guy could just be walking in. He could have just been waiting till you heard that cow, and then once he hears it, and if you watch enough elk, you'll see stuff like this, and now he's just walking in that direction. So that's where you really have to pay attention. Now, if some time goes by, a couple minutes, and I haven't gotten anything there, I'm going to cow call again. And I'm going to start introducing a situation as to why that cow is not going to him. And I'm going to introduce a bull. And I'm going to introduce it in another fashion. I'm not going to go all crazy or anything like that. I'm just going to start introducing some bull noises that are going to show that maybe there's a bull there tending that cow. It could be glunking. It could be some, some uh Uh, some panting. And then uh, uh, those are the types of things that I want to work with that and start maybe throwing a couple other cow calls. I'm going to actually grow the situation of that single cow that has, when that cow has been located right there, and now go to an actual group that's moving in. Maybe some cows with a bull that's tending them. So now I'm introducing a scenario that I can play up and try to get that bull that's in that area, because now we're kind of in a cold calling situation if he's not responding, right? And I'm mm-hmm. going to try to get that so that he thinks now that there's a bull there that has a hot cow, and that's going to change the whole scenario. So when you're talking about these kind
0: of strategies, does does it vary greatly from like early September to mid-September to uh, end of September for, for you in your mind? Does it, Do the strategies change to your cold call, or I'm sorry, calling um, tactics change
1: throughout the season as we're talking like early rep versus, you know, peak? Doesn't really change? Not really, because one of the things that, you know, uh, it's it's always the same thing. Whenever you're doing a call out there, you're trying to do, you're trying to do, I've simplified it. You're trying to locate, participate, irritate, exclude, or challenge. That's what you do with your calls, right? We're all, everybody knows what the locating is. The participating thing is just when you're trying to get people that want, you know, uh, an elk or or a cow that has that herd mentality that you just wants to be with you just because they have that herd mentality. Irritate. Yeah. Is is that something, you know, that if if I have a bull with with cows and I just want to irritate that bull, um, I can do things by trying to bring, talk to his cows, not him, but talk to his cows. The big one that I do, Jim, is excluding, and I think this is the one thing that a lot of people don't do. Everybody knows the challenge. I use that for last because the challenge only comes into play when an elk has already escalated to that point, and that bull will let me know when he's escalated. When that happens, man, it's over. Once I've got a bull that's escalated and is is screaming displays and is screaming at me and I cut him off, it's over. That... (laughs) That's the prime situation, <laughs> right yeah, that's fun thing that I do that that I think is overlooked, that a lot of people don't do is excluding in other words, so many times when we have an elk that bugles, we want to bugle at that at that elk, we want to mm-hmm. engage that elk right, and what I try to do a lot of times is uh is I try to exclude that animal. Yeah, he's my target bull, but I'm not going to engage him. I start doing the cow calling, and I start sounding like a bull with a cow. Either it's tending at this point in time. If I start including other bugles, then it's a hot cow. Or if I start doing sounds that signify I have a hot cow. So what I'm doing is basically creating my little scenario here that he can hear, and I am not challenging him. I'm not engaging him. I am totally, I'm putting the hand up, you know, stay away. We're all good here. And by doing that, by me creating that atmosphere and not challenging him, not engaging him, he wants to come and get involved in that. He wants to come check it out. So like communicating,
0: but not communicating to him. Right. Is that, is that kind of the general? Absolutely. And so when, when, you're, when you're doing that, are you, are you creating,
1: i I'm sorry, I lost you just for it's a second there, Jim. To a specific, yeah, I don't know. I'm if... sorry. Can you hear me? Okay, now. Yeah, I have you now, man. Okay, go ahead. Ask that question again.
0: Yeah, My internet is saying it's unstable. Okay, so I had I had Michael on, and and he was talking about. Uh, doing what is called a breeding sequence, where he's communicating with a bull, but he's he's painting a picture. There's right. a hot cow. There's a bull. They're getting excited. They're talking to each other, communicating with each other. Is that kind of similar? Or, or are you saying maybe not even uh, using something where it's a breeding sequence? It's just, it's just you're communicating with a group of cows um, and ignoring the other elk.
1: Yeah. So it, it's a – I think when you talk about elk and when you talk about scenarios, it's all pretty much the same thing um, because the the elk act in the same way. But what what I'm talking about is is yeah. I'm either going to do just a bull that is tending a cow or tending cows, and maybe that develops into hot cow situation. Uh, and what I like to do is paint, I, I call it kind of a rut fest where I'll have, uh, I'll sound off like bulls out on the side. Either one coming from the wi- right, one coming from the left, and then a bull that is tending that is that is has it. Maybe I guess you'd call that a breeding sequence of some kind. And are you still there, Bud? Yeah, I'm still here. I I did turn video off temporarily. Yeah, I I,
0: I, okay, and then yeah. we, can, we can probably turn it back on here in just a minute.
1: Yeah, I, I turned it off just to make sure we didn't l- lose our audio. So, yeah, I, what what I want to do is I am creating my own party, my own scenario, my own situation. I'm painting a picture of uh, elk converging, um, maybe satellites that are converging on a bull that has cows, um, most likely a hot cow there, especially if everything is bugling out there. So if if I start you know, them kind of doing their little thing on each side coming in. And then I'm doing a a sequence on the inside. Maybe I throw some displays out out there then I'm painting that picture of a totally different group of elk than that bull that I'm targeting out there so I am just not engaging directly at him I'm engaging those other two bulls out to the side or I'm engaging my cow here displaying for my cow and I'm doing glunks I'm doing grunts I'm doing pants and by doing that that my target bull is going to want to join that and is going to come into that. (laughs) It's so, so effective. So when he does want to come into that, because I, I really like
0: this topic, when he does want to come in, is he coming in letting you know that he's coming, or is he coming in silent, or is it kind of just a mix?
1: So it's a mix. Um, the, the bull we killed, so last year, Gilbert's bull, we, I brought in from over a half mile away doing this sequence. We actually got eyes on him at one point, lost him at another point. We got eyes on him again, came uphill to where we were and we're 30 yards in the trees. Nice. He comes to a little clearing and he comes in bugling because it was that same situation. He could not see what was going on till he topped out. The topography kept him from doing that. So he tops out and now he's looking and he's looking for where everything's at, right? And all we had to do at that point mm-hmm. is shut up because it's just like the herd moved on over the ridge. So he's going to either make a choice. Now, he has stopped in front of us at 30 yards. He's in the red zone now, but he's, he's, he's looking at us face on. And, I mean, dude, he came straight up the hill. He bugled multiple times, but then he stood there for, God, it seemed like forever, but it was probably eight minutes. And in that time... Yeah. He's just looking the whole time. He never said another thing when he did that, okay? And at that point, when he's head on to Gilbert, I know it's over because all I have to do now is when that bull decides that he's going to turn one way or the other, I'm just going to freeze him, man, and I'm going to throw a bugle out. Gilbert's going to draw, and we're going to finish the deal. And it's exactly how that went. It uh, It was awesome. Interesting. That's awesome. That's totally I'm gonna to try that. <laughs> I love it, man. Oh, it it's um, it's, it's yeah, so cool because a... it's so cool because you get to actually you get to it's like putting on a play. And you put on a play and you paint a picture and There's so many times, how many times have you ever been the hunter on the other side of the fence, listening to a rut fest going on 300 yards away, and you can't go there because it's either in another hunting area or it's in private or something like that, and you're stuck listening to it. You want to be there. Well, all I do is I'm like, let's do that. I'm just going to turn the tables on them. I'm going to come way over in here, and I'm going to be that rut fest, and I'm telling you, there's going to be satellites that are going to pull off of that and that are going to come into you.
0: And to your point, I, I would recommend the listeners: if you are ever in a situation where you can you can see a rut fest going on, or listen to a rut fest, but you can't access it, mm-hmm. experience, watch it, listen to it, and you'll you'll learn so much uh, about what the elk are doing, what they want, and how they communicate with each other uh, by by listening to something like that in, in real time. Uh, it's amazing to watch. Uh, so, anyways, yeah, no, that's that's a that's a great point to to bring up your you kind of creating this um well and, and and there's there's a common theme with this with a lot of the guests uh on on that i've that we've had discussions with about this but you're, the idea is it all boils down to you're you're just painting a picture mm-hmm. and, and you're you're creating you're creating an authentic image in that that bull elk's mind that he's going to want to investigate he's gonna he's going to want to come and check it out and so i i love it and i think it's super effective
1: well, the whole thing, whenever there's a hot cow and one bull starts his breeding of the hot cow and he starts and and there's happens to be a satellite and that satellite starts displaying, that bull starts displaying, all of this starts happening. Well, to any bull within uh-huh. a half mile of there that hears this going on, it is those sounds, It is it is what's happening that you know, sends the picture and sends the message to them that, hey, I got to get over there. So there's, and a lot of people think that the rut is just like a regional thing, but ruts happen in a drainage here, over this ridge here, wherever a hot cow comes in, right? So Mm -hmm. all you have to do is paint the picture that that has happened. I mean, uh, one of my favorite scenarios is to sound like a bull going to a destination. So coming out of a park and I'll just start screaming, just advertising as I'm moving, throwing out cow calls. And I've had bulls that have come in from the sides on me because they, I'm advertising, man. They know that I have cows with me and they come into that. So it's all about you painting a picture and putting it in those animals' mind and they will react to it.
0: I love it. I love it. And so Joe, I want to go back to something we were talking about uh kind of as we're as we're wrapping this up here. Sure. Before before we were actually recording. Uh-huh. Uh so I well, I think I know the order of which I'm I'm releasing this, but I don't I don't know about you. So uh uh-huh. last week I released an episode where we announced we were, we're doing uh some some uh, giveaways for youth hunters. Right. And, and those giveaways are essentially sponsorships mm-hmm. uh, to, to different resources for youth hunters to learn how to hunt elk. And, and you have uh, told me that, that you want to uh, have the Blue Collar Elk
1: Academy kind of involved with that. Absolutely, and, man. If it has anything to do with our youth, um, getting them involved with hunting, teaching them the right way, showing them the right uh, perspectives, being mentors to them, I'm all in. So what, what this is, is
0: uh, essentially we have, I'm going to have, it's a, it's a contest. And youth hunters are, if for this contest, uh, I know that this is going to vary from state to state and what whatnot, but just, just to, for the sake of simplicity in this contest, the ages are 10 to 17 years old. And, uh, they, they are to write an essay. There's no, you know, I'm not like you. I don't, I, I don't, I, I'm not a, I'm not a uh, teacher. So mm-hmm. you'd probably have better para- or more strict parameters than I do because there's no length and, and, uh, and all that. It's more about the message. They need to write an essay about what kind of hunter they want to be and what kind of example they want to set for the generations behind them. This is something that I don't think hunters talk about enough. Hunters that are uh, j- brand new to the hunting community, they're, they're 10, 11, 12 years old. What they don't realize is now is the time to develop them as leaders because they have a generation behind them coming up. Um, and, and so nobody talked about that when I was that age. And, and so I I want them to start thinking about what kind of leader they want to be for other hunters. And, and this is, that's essentially the essence of the essay. And so, uh, it, it, when they write this essay, they're gonna they're gonna send it in to me, and and now I can add another prize, so we can have three prizes, uh, where they get they get access. One one person is gonna win access to the Blue Collar Elk uh, Calling Academy, or I'm sorry, yeah, Blue Collar Elk Academy. I, yep. I that's
1: it's fine, that's fine. Yeah, our base camp, our
0: training camp on our Blue Collar Elk Calling Academy. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, the base camp, and and this is uh, just just so if if you guys are not, you know, uh, up to par with this, this thing has so much content and so much information, and I I'm just amazed that you put all this together, and and you actually only you don't charge that much. Like there's an introductory price of what fifty bucks
1: or something. Fifty dollars, yes, sir. I mean the yeah. information that they get in this uh, it for what you, the seminars you would have to go to get this information or, or, or the, yeah, it, I, I'm just, uh, I'm excited that it's getting out there. Um, and I'm glad we can introduce it at this price. Uh, that will change at some point, but uh, this, this is, mm-hmm. I want it out there. I want people to be part of this.
0: I love it. I love it. And so if you are a youth hunter and you're listening to this, or if you have a youth hunter, you know, in your, uh, in your family, uh, you know, one of your kids, or you've got nieces and nephews and, um, whatever the case is, there, and and you want to get them involved and and maybe get access to the Blue Collar Elk Academy, the the base camp, uh, base camp, right?
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, go ahead and submit that essay, and and I'm gonna have more de- details in the intro, obviously, but uh, go ahead and submit that essay and and send it in to me, Jim, at com because the due date for that is September 1st. And I'm really looking forward to reading all these. And the winners, I'm going to read, I'm going to read the winners' essays on the podcast. And so, um, looking forward to that. And I appreciate you, Joe, uh, for stepping up with that and, and uh, offering this up to, to the listeners because I, I think it's going to go a long ways towards, um, I, I mean, can you imagine, let's say we've got a 12-year-old kid that is, he just finished hunter safety and he's going out elk hunting mm-hmm. uh, and, and he goes through your course right right he goes through the blue collar elk academy the amount of knowledge from your 35 plus years of elk hunting that right. he's gonna be able to soak up it, he's gonna be so much further and i keep saying he he or she I, this you, you could boy or girl is obviously for for this uh contest yeah. uh send me those essays so i apologize um they're just going to be miles ahead of the pack and so th- this is a big deal i really appreciate you doing that
1: well i mean that's the whole reason this was done is that you know by mentoring people by trying to help people and show them the right ways um to talk about ethics responsibilities how we present ourselves our personas as hunters here um by putting that in positive light by making it Positive mentorship—it's going to speak volumes. It's going to ripple throughout. And you know, when you talk about a twelve-year-old, you know, today's twelve-year-old is tomorrow's congressman and is tomorrow's parent. And you know, they—they are the people. They are our future. And if this heritage and this tradition is to continue to to live on and be free for all of us, then uh, this is critical. That we continue to mentor our, our young people and get them. So yeah.
0: Absolutely. So I think that those are a bit long in the tooth and need to start. You know, just kind of stepping up and highlighting important and getting them involved in and keep in mind that there's a lot of youth that want and they don't have a mentor. Uh there's things out there to to where we could become your mentor. Without physically taking you out, or uh, uh, you know, physically being there on the mountain with you, and and that's what I want to become for for anybody that's that's young and and wanting to get involved in hunting, and and uh, this this is a great way to do it. So, um, super Joe, super Jim, this has been a fun conversation, man. Oh, well, thanks. It's going to be a fun conversation. Th- this has been this has been fun. Um, I'm really excited to get this one out there, and I I appreciate you coming on more than you know
1: oh absolutely it was my pleasure I Jim. You? I, I, i've totally enjoyed what you've done man so uh thanks a lot for having me
0: thank you join captain justin Leak and meredith mccord for the best fishing action along panama city beach tune in to chasing the sun every sunday at 9 30 a.m eastern on waypoint tv